Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. A warning, this episode contains explicit language. The Succession series finale was truly a meal fit for a king. Backs were stabbed, alliances were realigned, and a new CEO of the media conglomerate, Waystar Royco, was crowned. How did the squabbling Roy siblings shake out in the fight to control their family's dynasty? Did any of these terribly miserable yet endlessly compelling characters get what they truly wished for in the end? I'm Linda Holmes. And I'm Aisha Harris. It's 12.30 a.m. and we're recapping the series finale of Succession on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Third Love. Third Love makes solutions for every bra problem. Give yourself more lift, smoothing, and get straps that stay put. Every style's wear-tested on real women, made from premium materials, with a virtual fitting room to help you find your perfect fit. Comfort and support are guaranteed. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. (laughs) Dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Here with me and Linda tonight is NPR TV critic Eric Duggins. Hi, Eric. Welcome back. So I picked my job off the floor. I picked the <laughs> knife up out of my back. I am ready to talk about this. <laughs> That is great to hear. We have a lot to get into. So HBO Succession follows, of course, the Roys, a billionaire dynasty that owns the conservative-leaning media conglomerate Waystar Royco. Brian Cox plays Logan Roy, the company's crotchety, ruthless founder and the patriarch of the family. The series follows Logan and the backstabbing Roy siblings as they jockey to become the new head of the company. Now, we're just going to get it right into spoilers for this season, including the finale. So if you haven't already watched it, this is your warning to hit pause now and return to us after you've done so. All right. Well, here's a brief rundown of what happened in the finale. So Logan dies early in the season, leaving siblings Kendall and Shiv at war with one another. They're played by Jeremy Strong and Sarah Snook. At the beginning of the finale, they are each trying to secure enough board member votes to ensure that one of them becomes the new CEO of Waystar. Shiv thinks she's got it in the bag, but it turns out her ally, Lucas Matson, the creepy Swedish tech magnate who wants to buy Waystar, isn't really her ally. He's played by Alexander Skarsgård. Even though Matson has promised to make her CEO if the deal goes through, he actually plans to anoint Shiv's estranged husband Tom in the role. Matson brokers a deal with Tom over dinner, and Tom is played by Matthew McFadden. It's going to get nasty, uh, so I need a pain sponge. That's kind of what I'm after, so would that be a problem? Nah. No, man. Kendo finds out about this new development thanks to Tom's right-hand man and resident bootlicker, Greg, who's played by Nicholas Braun. Hey, so, okay, so I have something huge. Dude, I'm in the center of the fucking universe with, like, knowledge to, to... 
fucking like take down solar systems, man. Sure. Kendall, Shiv, and the other sibling in the mix, Roman, who's played by Kieran Culkin, set aside their animosities and rally around stopping the deal with Matson and pushing Kendall through as the new CEO. Ultimately, everything falls apart during Waystar's board meeting vote when Shiv changes her mind at the last minute. Shiv, mm. Shiv, listen, please. I beg you, listen. I can do this. I don't think you'd be good at it. What? I don't, I don't even believe you. I don't believe you. I don't. I don't think that you would be good at this. For fuck's sake, Shiv! The deal with Matson goes through, and Tom steps cockily into his new position. Shiv apparently accepts her fate as the wife of the powerful CEO. Roman accepts his position as a terrible human and an all-out loser, while Kendall is reduced to a poor, dejected shell of himself. Yay! (laughs) Yay! Everybody wins! (laughs) Because everybody loses. (laughs) Exactly. Succession was created by Jesse Armstrong, and you can catch up on the series on Max, the new streaming service formerly known as HBO Max. So, Linda, let's start with you. I know you have been recapping the season over the last few weeks. What were your predictions going into this finale, and did they bear out in any way? Well, the only prediction I really had was that somewhere in my gut, I felt like Shiv was going to wind up in charge of the company. And my reasoning for that was Shiv was the one who started off not wanting to be in charge of the company in the same way. Mm. She started off wanting to have a life outside of Waystar Royco. She worked in politics. She had a reputation that wasn't just about the family and just about the company. Of course, she was resentful. She had a secret desire to be the CEO or whatever, but she wanted to have a life outside of them. So I had a feeling that the ending would be Shiv is stuck in the company and they wind up out of the company so everybody loses, Mm. which is sort of what happened. I would say it came a little bit true in that that Shiv is really the one who is still, like, now she's the CEO's wife. Yeah. Which, and she's going to look at Tom every day knowing how this happened. And he's going to look at her every day knowing that part of the reason he got this gig was that Lucas Matson is a disgusting pig. And so <laughs> it kind of played out. But, I mean, I was not making any serious effort to predict because I never could have predicted. I did think that Greg at some level would probably betray Tom, which he kind of did. Mm. But then Tom kind of forgave him at the end. So The bromance continues. <laughs> <laughs> Tom has been a suck-up to all the right people, and Greg was a suck-up to Tom. So it's just a whole circle of sucking up. So, yeah, I mean, I would say sort of. Well, yeah. I mean, that that is kind of what sold uh, Matson on Tom to begin with. And that's even more irony is the fact that Shiv is the one who planted that seed in Matson's head to go for Tom. She gloated about how he will do very mm-hmm. terrible things or, you know, yeah, disgusting things to, to get whatever he wants. Uh, <laughs> he will pay fealty to the largest ego in the room. Exactly. Exactly. So, Eric, you know, who were you placing your bets on going into this? Okay. Oh, Eric's mm. going to tell you all about it now. <laughs> well, first I had to cop that I wrote something for NPR.org where I said Kendall was going to take it because it seemed like that's where the story was going. But Linda and I did a, um, a discussion on NPR's air back in April, and I predicted Tom. And the reason I predicted Tom was because at that time he seemed to be quite an effective 
uh, secondhand to Logan. He was proving his value as someone who was willing to enable whatever the most powerful guy in the room wanted to have happen. And that's ultimately why he was chosen for this role. Matson knew that he would be uh, his puppet in a way that he could trust. And it was a delightful sort of turn because the, the story had been convincing us that everyone hated Tom, that Matson didn't like him, that the brothers didn't like him, that Shiv was about to break up with him, so he would have no place. So to have him become the person who lands on top was kind of the most plausible yet uh, least predictable outcome in a lot of ways. What I really liked about this, though, was I've always said that this season has been about the family being forced to face the truth about itself in ways that it has tried to avoid, but they're unable to avoid. And Shiv, in that boardroom vote, just suddenly realized that none of them could run the company. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it didn't make sense for any of them to be in power. And so, you know, she sacrificed the family's togetherness, this bizarre togetherness that had kind of sprung up amongst the siblings. She sacrificed that because she knew that none of them should be running the company, which I thought was kind of... An insight. No. Absolutely not. No. Why? No. Why? What? Just. I love you. I really. I love you, but I cannot fucking stomach you. This is fucking disgusting. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. You know, she was willing to be truthful in a way that none of the other ones were, and she did it knowing that her kid is probably not going to have a relationship with his uncles. That that family is going to be atomized by that decision. But it was the right thing for the company. It's interesting because I don't think she necessarily went that far in terms of her epiphany. I feel as though had it been her who was up for this vote instead of Kendall, that she would have gone through with it. She might have been miserable after like once it set in like, oh, now I actually have to run this company. On the one hand, she was absolutely right. Kendall is not the right person to run this company. And also, like, I think one of the biggest questions I had going in was, OK, are we going to bring up Kendall's accidentally killing someone <laughs> and then covering it up. Are we going to bring that up? And the fact that she brings it up and throws it out like kind of like this, you know, this trump card, like, okay, this is this is what I'm doing. It's both a low blow, but it's also very true because that was probably going to get out at some point. In a way, I can see her kind of trying to save Kendall somewhat, but then also had she been in that position herself, she would have taken it, I think. She might have taken it, but it seemed like when they were all together at their mother's house, they all kind of admitted that Shiv and Roman couldn't take a leadership position because the board wouldn't accept them. Right. She had already kind of accepted that she was never going to get that job. And yeah, yeah. So then her final vote was, well, Kendall can't have it either because he's not going to run the company well, and I'm choosing that knowing that I'm sacrificing my family and making that choice. Yeah, see, I agree more with Aisha. I thought that what she was choosing was more she has very limited choices, it is try to remain in proximity to power via her brothers or via her husband. Because all season, she's been getting boxed out by her brothers. She's now dealt with this guy, Matson, who completely betrayed her and lied to her. And I think she's feeling like my only option to sort of retain some kind of position in all of this is to throw in with Tom, mm -hmm. who I think she believes that Tom, despite all the trouble that they've had, like she, at the beginning of the episode, you could kind of see her trying to talk to Tom about could they get back together. Right. I think she still sees that marriage as kind of her, her best option. And she's having a baby. So 
I'm not sure it was as much like for the good of the company, none of us can run it. I felt like it was more what is in her interests is to stick with Tom and have Tom be in charge rather than sticking with her brothers and having Kendall be in charge. Because Kendall was telling her, oh, you'll have all this big position and all that stuff. Yeah. And I don't think she believed it at all. No. Yeah, but you know, Tom betrayed her twice in the final episode. Right. Matson has already indicated that he doesn't want her running anything. So why would she think she would have any power in a race to Royco where Matson not, owns not it? Soft, soft power, Eric. Soft, soft power. power. And, and, you know, in that scene where she's expressing, don't you think there's maybe a relationship here? You don't get that vibe from him. You know? Yeah, but no. at the end, he stick, He puts his hand out. Right. He's wanted her back the entire time. He just didn't want to tell her mm. that he did. Yeah. I also, I also think we have to go back to earlier in this episode where there's that vulture <laughs> piece where there's like a photo of a giant cartoonist Shiv holding the puppet strings and it's like a cartoon of Matson. And the headline is, is Lucas Matson taking over the world? And she doesn't know the nitty gritty of Matson's decision for why he didn't choose her. He doesn't know that he wants to sleep with her. And that's a big reason why he already expressed in an earlier episode that like he was hesitant about her because she's pregnant. Other than that, I think she probably has a sense that she knows how to control Tom and she can maybe have a little bit of power still, even though she's not going to get the credit for it, she will have some power there. So I I kind of saw that as like a very strategic move on her end. I think she knows that Matson wants to sleep with her. I think that that whole sexual attraction <laughs> has been a big part of this show. And she might and she might do that. But her controlling Tom, <laughs> he doesn't have any reason to pay attention to her anymore because she doesn't have any power in that equation anymore. It's not that she's going to control Tom. It's that in their relationship, she. I'm glad that you brought this up because it's not that she's going to get like appointed to some big job by Tom. Right. It's soft power of marriage. And even when they have been at odds, she has always had most of the power in that relationship. Yeah. And I think she will still have most of the power in that relationship once things settle down, especially now that Tom is happy. Like Tom will be happy to be the boss at work. And Shiv will be the boss at home, I think. Because yeah. that's the way it's always been with them. I agree with Aisha. Well, I want to move on because Roman, I think, to your point earlier, Eric, about sort of this season being about these characters realizing who they really are. I think for me, Roman is the person who the most gets it, at least in that very short moment during that big blowout scene between the three siblings after Shiv has said, I can't do this. I can't vote against the deal, Roman is very blunt. He's like, we are nonsense. Insert expletive. That's who we are. And I'm curious what you thought about how the arc of Roman has played out over the course of these seasons, especially in the, as it is shown in this finale. That character has had a wonderful arc, and Kieran Culkin has just done an amazing job playing it. In various ways, again, they've each had to sort of face the reality of what they're capable of and what they're not capable of. And the only person who really can't accept it is Kendall. Roman eventually got to the point where he had to sort of admit, you know, the ways he's fallen short. And then at the end, you know, he's basically saying, look, we're all terrible. <laughs> we're, we're all full of it. Just admit it. Just admit it. And what's interesting to me about this show is that there's so many many arcs inside of it, even though the larger arc is Kendall's story. It starts with him not getting the role that he thought he should have had, 
We find out in this finale he thought he should have had it since he was seven years old. And it ends with him ultimately not getting it and realizing that he will he will never get the chance to try to be equal to his father. And he will he will always feel like something's missing from his life. He will never be fulfilled or never be satisfied. And that's that's just an amazing arc for a character. Both of those guys, Jeremy Strong and Kieran Culkin, have just done amazing work this season. Yeah, I feel like Roman, in some ways, Roman had the most optimistic ending to me, if you can use that <laughs> word, because Roman kind of just left and seems to have felt like, all right, I've acknowledged who I am and what I am, and I'm going to go to a bar and drink a martini and nobody's going to bother me. Yeah. And he he actually smiles sort of at the end. Now, it's a very particular kind of smile, but he maybe has the most optimistic ending. <laughs> but Roman also says some extremely horrible things about Kendall's kids, which he blames their father for. Right. Dad's view was yours weren't real. What the fuck did you just say? Well, just not real. Real. Um, well, that's just what Dad said. I'm just saying what Dad said. They are a pair of randos. One is a buy-in. The other is half Rava, half some filing cabinet guy, right? Roman has really proven himself to also be a vicious, opportunistic, racist monster at a bunch of different points in this season. So I think what has impressed me about the way they've handled that character is that he is a horrifying person. And in some ways... His ending isn't just optimistic for him. It's maybe optimistic for everybody else because maybe the most you can hope for with somebody like that is that they will go off and drink martinis and not be a menace to everybody else (laughs) and not run a company and not run a news organization. So that's sort of the happiest ending is just go be rich. Go be rich and leave everybody alone. Go be a terrible playboy. (laughs) Well, right. As opposed to Shiv and Tom who are going to, you know, have – a media empire, yeah. or Kendall, who, like, I don't know what's going to happen to Kendall, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be anything good. Yeah. So, the 100? You know, I agree with you, Eric. I, yeah. I mean, I can't even separate. I think everybody has just yeah. been astonishing this year. Yeah. And I and I want to say not only the, the leads, but also such good performances from, you know, the people who played kind of Logan's executives and, and higher-ups, Natalie Gold, who plays Rava, Aryan Moyad, who plays uh, Stewie, who I love. So just like outstanding supporting performances across the board. I was so impressed with everybody. Loved all of it. Loved the writing. Loved the directing. Beautiful stuff. Yeah. And when I talk to people and I tell them about how I'm, you know, very into the show and I'm very, I was very excited for the finale. And they're like, ah, I just don't want to watch horrible people. And I'm like, okay, look. I get it. But at the same time, first of all, it's very funny. The show is very funny, like in a very dark way, but it's very funny. I mean, we haven't even mentioned like I am the eldest boy, which is like (laughs) what what Kendall says in the middle of their their fight, which is a obviously not true um, because he's not the eldest boy. That is Connor, who the forgotten Connor, poor Connor. Always. (laughs) And B, it's just like, oh, my goodness, you are just the most pathetic human being that this is like what you would yell. Who says this things? So what I I love about the show and what I try to tell people is like, I know it might not be your thing, but it's not just about these terrible people, but these terrible people who you kind of can relate to, not on a Mm -hmm. practical level or like a realistic level, but like on a emotional level. Linda, you touched on this in your recaps, but like 
I think part of what makes the loss of Logan earlier in the season so resonant is the fact that, yes, all these people are terrible and Logan was terrible. But at the same time, everyone who has lived long enough has lost someone special to them and understands what it can mean to have complicated feelings about someone you've lost. And so, like, I don't know, I think that's what makes, for me at least, this show rise above being just a show that's about terrible people and why I want to tell people like, dude, give it a shot. I know it's it's rough. And I know we live in a time where there's all of these eat the rich narratives, blah, blah, blah. And this really isn't that. I don't know. I want people to people to get into it. And the other thing I want to point out about this series is it seems so prescient so many times about how politics works and how wealth works in our world and particularly in America. That moment when Matson is talking to Tom and he's telling him, I'm going to install you as the CEO. I don't need a partner. I just need a front man to be my pain sponge. I am sitting there imagining Elon Musk talking to Linda Yaccarino, who was working for NBC Universal, and he brought her in as CEO. I'm imagining him telling her the same thing. And they had to have written and shot that scene well before Elon Musk announced who he was bringing in as CEO. But that's the power of the show is that you see these people having these fictional conversations and you can imagine real moguls having similar conversations for the same reasons. That's one of the things I love about this show is that it promises to tell you a little fable that maybe gives you some insight as to how some of these things might work. Yeah, and I also want to put in a pitch just for the many ways in which I think the craft of this show has been so brilliant. You can see it in everything from the way they dress people, the colors that they use. The show has had a really interesting relationship, I think, with the color blue. You know, Waystar is a very blue place. You can see it in things like lighting. They have a very unusual camera style for a drama series. They have a particular way that they use handheld and that they use Zoom uh, and that they use camera placement. I think they have a particular way that they've experimented, particularly this season, with very long takes, both in Connor's wedding episode and then also in the funeral episode which has allowed them to experiment with a lot of different ways of putting a a show together. It is, I think, the greatest show in history when it comes to reaction shots, use of reaction shots. Oh, my goodness. Sarah Snook, as, like, her side-eye is unmatched. (laughs) The funny thing is, if you watch The Funeral or if you watch that horrible moment when Kendall did the rap, (laughs) every single reaction shot that they go to feels exactly right for that character and specific to that character. Yeah. This show really nails not just richness, but wealth, inexplicable wealth in terms of the, the costumes especially and and uh, all the black cars and all the beautiful locations that are uh, contrast with the just shrewd business deals that are happening and the backstabbing and all the terrible things. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's This is cinema. <laughs> yeah. I talked about this in the recap, but one of my favorite uh, shots in the funeral episode is Greg going to the funeral on the city bike because it really shows you how Greg is in this in-between space where he's dressed like a richer person and he's in this richer person's world, but he's taken a city bike to the funeral. He's kind of in this interesting, I think the way that they've dealt with kind of wealth signifiers all along has been really interesting. My final question for you is, were there any resolutions or characters' uh, fates that you felt were most satisfying or most just like, yeah, I'm glad that happened. For me, I would say probably the fact that Jerry seems 
safe. Granted, she's still going to be working for this terrible company. And look, everyone on this show is terrible. But Jerry, you know, played by J. Smith Cameron, I loved her so much. She perfected the side eye just like Shiv, like great <laughs> reaction shots. And I was really happy to see her kind of like early in the season when she was fired, but then suddenly Logan's death reverses her fortunes. She's been fired twice. I yeah. know. I was very happy to see her kind of like still be floating along and, and you know, having a little bit of power um, where she could have easily lost it. I would say two things. First of all, I agree with you about Jerry. I'm also really happy to think that Carolina is going to get rid of Hugo because Hugo oh, is so little, slimy. even for this company, he's yeah. just gross. Yeah. Also, I just want to give a shout. I was so delighted on my list of potential things that could come up in this episode was Lawrence Yee, who Kendall uh, destroyed his company, Valter. And I was like, I wonder if they'll throw in Lawrence Yee. And I was like, they won't, of course. And then they throw in a mention of Lawrence Yee. Yes. So I'm just happy to know that Lawrence is still out there, has rebounded, and is apparently being considered for new CEO jobs. You know, ultimately, Kendall's story to me, seeing how it ended, was perfect to me. You know, it he, it's not what he wanted, but I think it made the story. It started with his frustration, and it ended with him ultimately losing. And whether or not he can admit it, you know, we all know that he shouldn't have gotten that job. And he needs to find the courage to face the truth that everyone else in his family already has. And the last scene of him in the park reminded me of the last scene in The Godfather, where yes. Michael is kind of a lion in winter and just sitting back and, you know, his whole life is kind of messed up. Got the same vibe. I felt the same way for him. That scene to me was just like, man, that's how this should have ended. And I wouldn't be surprised if Jesse Armstrong didn't have that image in his head, you know, way before he ever actually wrote the script. Yes. Alas, he was not the king. <laughs> alas. <laughs> Well, we want to know what you think about Succession. You can find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. And that brings us to the end of our show. Eric Deggins, Linda Holmes, thanks so much for being here, staying up late with me to recap this glorious finale. I, you know, I love nothing more than nerding out about great TV. So this was just so wonderful. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I agree. Well, we want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support of NPR. And if you haven't signed up yet, want to show your support and listen to this show without any sponsor breaks, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode is produced by Mike Katzoff and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Ayesha Harris, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Lisa, in collaboration with West Elm. Discover the new natural hybrid mattress, expertly crafted from natural latex and certified safe foams, designed with your health and the planet in mind. Visit leesa.com to learn more. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR.
On Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, we have very important people on our show and then ask them about very unimportant things. Here's U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Uh, We are also reliably informed that among your enthusiasms, in addition to macroeconomic policy, is mobile games. Uh, There is some truth in that. There's some truth in that. Join us for the NPR podcast that considers all the other things. That's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me.